Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. In the early hours of Sunday, in a remote spot in an arid desert in North Jordan, the peace of the early morning was suddenly shattered when a drone packed with explosives crashed into an American military base. We are following some breaking news out of the Middle East right now. Three U.S. soldiers have been killed in Jordan near the Syrian border. At least 34 American soldiers were also injured. The Americans say they know who did it. This is all traceable to Tehran. We cannot accept the notion that these terror proxies are simply acting on their own. Iran has denied involvement, but the attack could bring America and Iran's supporters closer to the brink of war. Iran is certainly flirting with becoming a target itself. We do not seek another war. We do not seek to escalate. But we will absolutely do what is required to protect ourselves and to respond appropriately to these attacks. So what is going on in the Middle East? Is this a new front in the war in Gaza? And are we at risk of creeping, bomb by bomb, towards a bigger global conflict? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, three American soldiers dead. Has Iran miscalculated? I am uh, Richard Spencer. I'm a correspondent for The Times. Uh, I'm currently in Tel Aviv. I've been The Times Middle East correspondent for seven years and reporting on the Middle East for 15 altogether. Richard, on Sunday, a lot of people were very startled when a headline suddenly broke about an attack that really came out of the blue. Just talk us through what we know about what happened on Sunday. So there was a drone strike on Sunday on a U.S. operations base in Jordan. The things of note about this attack were not the attack itself, because there have been a series of attacks on 
U.S. forces across the Middle East, particularly since the start of the war between Israel and Gaza. What's novel about this particular attack is it took place just over the border from those two countries in Jordan. Jordan is a Western ally in the Middle East, but it's by and large kept out of all this activity. It tries to stay clear of conflicts involving American and Iranian forces in the region, but it seems to have been brought in on this occasion. And why is there an American base there in Jordan? America has bases operating across the Middle East for for many years, but in particular, the focus currently is on American bases in Iraq and Syria that have been there since America intervened in the war on ISIS. And those bases are quite controversial for a number of reasons, particularly in Syria, where they are not there at the uh, request of the Syrian government. They're there because Syria had effectively fallen apart and America decided that if it was going to fight ISIS, it had to fight it in Syria as well as in Iraq. But there's a feeling also that its troops are there to monitor Iranian expansionism in the Middle East. I mean, we tend to think of Jordan as being, you know, our great allies in the Middle East. We know that, you know, the kings of Jordan are always educated in in Britain. There's huge military ties between Britain, America and Jordan. You'd expect American troops to be safe there. What do we know about how this attack happened Yeah, well, we think it took place on a Jordanian base known as Tower 22. Uh, That's close to the Syrian border. Um, The American presence in Jordan is quite sensitive. The Jordanian political situation is never easy. The king of Jordan, as you say, is a friend of the West. He's in fact half British. He was educated in both Britain and America. But half the population is Palestinian. They obviously have a somewhat different view of the Western role in the Middle East. There's a lot of sympathy for the Palestinian cause. So the king has to play his undoubted role in in the Western security infrastructure, if you like, quite sensitively. So the American presence is not advertised very strongly. It's not surprising there were Americans here. We knew there were Americans in some of these Jordanian bases, but I'd say it's not something they advertised. What actually happened with this attack? Where did it come from? Who was firing at the Americans? Well, we don't know exactly where it was launched from, this drone. It seems to have been quite a lucky strike. There have been, as I say, several drone and missile attacks on US bases in Syria and Iraq since October the 7th without causing any loss of life. So the big game changer here, if you like, is the three American dead. That's had a political effect uh, in America. The Americans are pretty clear that it came from uh, one of these Iran-backed militias that operate in both Syria and Iraq. Which particular militia, we don't know yet. It's been claimed by the umbrella group of so-called resistance factions. That's the network, the umbrella network for these pro-Iranian militias in places like Syria and Iraq. I imagine the Americans are looking quite closely at that, and I suspect that their response will be quite closely targeted on the particular militia they think was responsible. So it seems to be an Iranian-backed militia. We're not quite sure which one. Do we know why? Why now? So Iran is uh, has a long-term goal, obviously, of isolating Israel as part of its core ideology is to be the leader of the resistance, as they call it, to Israel. That means isolating Israel from America, particularly, and removing American presence in the Middle East as much as possible to allow Iran a greater 
freedom of action to build up these militias. And they think that uh, by staging these repeated pinprick attacks on American bases, they can um, rub that point home, make it clear that Americans aren't wanted in these places. Those attacks have been going on, they were going on before October the 7th. But October the 7th, at the start of this war between Israel and Gaza, has provided a good pretext to increase the pace of attacks because they can say, these resistance groups, that they are acting in support of the Palestinians, in support of Hamas, which is another sort of Iranian-backed militia, and they can escalate the attacks on American bases while doing so under the cover of another war, which America clearly doesn't want to take to another level, if you like. We'll talk a little bit about the strategy in in just a moment. Before we do, though, I mean, we know that this umbrella organisation of resistance militias has claimed it. What what has Iran said officially? And, And do we think Iran was behind the attack effectively? So Iran has put out a statement saying it has no connection to this attack, but it does seem to confirm their statement that it was, you know, a resistance militia. The resistance groups in the region, in their decisions and actions, do not take orders from the Islamic Republic of Iran. While the Islamic Republic does not welcome the development of conflict in the region, It does not interfere in the decisions of the resistance groups on how to support the Palestinian people or how to defend themselves and the people of their country against any aggression and occupation. That's part of Iran's policy of of plausible deniability, if you like. I don't think anyone takes it particularly seriously in the sense that I think everyone accepts that Iran does have strong links to these militias. They're trained by Iran, they're funded by Iran, they get their weapons from Iran. They have Revolutionary Guard commanders embedded with them quite a lot of the time. The question of how independently they operate, that's a a question where there is some discussion. It's not a strictly hierarchical thing. Um, So it's a conversation rather than direct instructions, but uh, Whether any individual attack is ordered by Iran is one thing. They won't be disavowing it privately, certainly, this attack. That's so interesting. So you've got the Revolutionary Guards. These are the most elite, really, of Iran's forces. And they're in a constant conversation with these militias. Do we think that would mean for an attack of this size and this kind of threat, would they need to seek authorization? Would they need to get Iran's approval before going ahead? That's a good question. We don't really know the answer to that. I mean, we don't really know whether this particular attack was bigger than other attacks or whether it just, you know, as I say, got lucky in terms Mm. of how it struck. It does seem to be in a single drone, though a large drone that seems to have got through American defences. You know, I don't think we need to believe that every single attack is notified to Iran when and where it happens. I mean, there'll be operational security reasons why you might not want to have conversations on the telephone that America will be listening to. But there will be sort of outline permission, if you like. And I suspect in this particular case, there must have been Iranian approval for it to involve a Jordanian target. It seems unlikely that an attack would be ventured in a new country, if you like, without approval from Iran. So really, to to make sense of this attack, how it happened, but also where it might lead, we really do need to stand back and just look at that relationship between Iran 
and these militias and, and how they operate. You know, you mentioned earlier that for Iran, this is quite convenient, plausible deniability. Just explain that a bit, because we've talked on the podcast before a bit about Iran's foreign policy, its strategy in the world, how it goes after its enemies, not directly, it doesn't send troops to America or Saudi Arabia, but it does carry out war by proxy. Just explain how that works. So Iran has built up, funded, provided expert advice to and weapons to a series of militias groups in countries across the Middle East, particularly countries that are involved in civil conflict in some way. So you've seen that in Lebanon, most notably, where Hezbollah was built up during the Lebanese civil war uh, by Iran as a clear proxy for Iranian interests in Lebanon. And then that model has been copied elsewhere. You know, the Iranians built up a militia of Iraqi exiles in uh, the Iran-Iraq war in the 80s. And after that, they were strengthened by sort of further exiles from Saddam Hussein until they had quite a strong force of Iraqi Shia exiles in Iran, which were able to go back to Iraq after the American invasion in uh, 2003. And of course, the Syrian war allowed some of those militias to establish themselves in Syria as well. They have Hezbollah now in Syria. They have Syrian militias in Syria that are backed directly by Iran. And uh, finally, we've seen the same process happen in Yemen. The Iranians were able to build up the Houthis with missile supplies and funding and training. So now you have this whole network of militias loyal to Iran in a kind of donut shape around, around Israel. Coming up, Iran has spent decades building up a shadow force of loyal militias across the Middle East. But is this latest attack a sign that Iran is losing control of its proxy forces? Or is this the Iranians preparing for war? That's in just a moment. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. (laughs) 
So Richard, just if we were to roll out the map of the Middle East uh, in front of us, you know, that's a lot of flashpoints. You've got Yemen, Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, all with militias that are Iranian-backed, and then, of course, Iran itself. Why are these militias so useful to them? Iran doesn't want to get involved in a direct conflict itself. Its population is not keen on another war. The Iran-Iraq war was an incredibly bitter, long-fought-out conflict in the 80s, which older listeners may remember. Uh, It killed hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people on both sides, soldiers and civilians. In some ways, neither country has really recovered from that conflict. And of course, its gravest fear is it will be overthrown and that America will intervene directly to overthrow the regime. So it doesn't want to get involved in a full-scale country-to-country conflict that might bring in the greater powers. So having these militias means that it can conduct these operations, conduct these asymmetric conflicts, basically, between its forces and its two main enemies, Israel and America in the Middle East. So that's the strategy that Iran's thought out very carefully over the last 40 years, which it's proceeding with across the region. So that, that's really interesting. You've sort of got the Iranian government who it would be really unpopular with their own people if they were constantly looking like they're at war. So they use these proxies. But also, as you say, the way asymmetric war operates basically means that they're never actually in a fully-fledged war with America or any of their other enemies. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's the nature of asymmetric war, is to keep control of a war that won't provoke a major intervention that would lead to the destruction of you and your country. So they use these proxies asymmetric war because it's basically like throwing stones and weakening the enemy without actually being in a fully-fledged war. And yet, recently, in the last few months, we've seen flashpoints suddenly popping up in the Red Sea with the Houthis. Already the Houthis had aimed missiles at Israel since October the 7th. Now, using an array of weapons, including missiles and drones, they were taking aim at the Red Sea. And the US is clear on who it blames. While the Houthis are pulling the trigger, so to speak, they're being handed the gun by Iran. We've seen attacks on the Lebanese border with Hezbollah. We now have these attacks in Jordan. We've even seen bombing in Pakistan, which came out of nowhere. Is there a sense that either Iran is getting reckless with this policy or it's slightly losing control of of these proxies? I don't think it's losing control of the proxies. I think it's using the Gaza-Israel conflict as cover to escalate beyond where it could in the absence of war. Attacking US bases, attacking shipping in the Red Sea does look reckless, as you say. It does put a pressure on for a reaction at a time when there is this massive war going on and where there is a universal desire not to escalate further. That means that Iran can just push it a little bit more and they, these militias are well positioned to do so. So how do you escalate? Well, you escalate with attacks that are much further away from Israel, where there's no risk of a full-scale war. There's not going to be a full-scale war between Israel and Yemen, between Israel and the Houthis. They're just uh, too far away. But they can, of course, damage Western interests quite easily because of their um, presence on, you know, the world's most important shipping lane. Well, that raises a really interesting question, which is, you know, given this relationship that Iran has with these militias, the way It's always used them to throw stones, but to make sure it doesn't end up in a full-scale war. Is that changing? Because we're suddenly seeing so many attacks in different places. It feels like the region is so unstable. 
the smallest thing might lead to a bigger escalation. Does Iran want a massive global conflict? I think Iran is making very careful calculations as to how far it can escalate the situation without it boiling over. I think the calculations would be somewhat different if there were a different American president. I think they modulate it very carefully to the political situation in the West, in America particularly. They think they can escalate without risking a full-scale American attack on Iran. That's their goal, if you like. Their calculation is to see how far they can push without attracting the desire for regime change in Tehran, which America could presumably do if it applied enough military might. Uh, So Iran, looking at what happened in Iraq, suspects that America doesn't want to get involved in that, particularly suspects that Democrat presidents like President Biden don't want to get into, into that. So they think they can push quite a long way before it really does boil over. So the whole thing comes down to this delicate balancing act. It's like a dance between Iran and America to work out where their boundaries are, how far they can go before it does erupt into into a much bigger conflict. Have they miscalculated this though? Because you do now have three American soldiers dead, quite a big number seriously injured. And it is an election year for Joe Biden. How does this play out in America? Will they have to be seen to be doing something about it? That's the million-dollar question, really. To what extent was this an unexpected lucky strike? As I said before, there have been plenty of these attacks that have not led to American deaths. And so, you know, this, as you say, this dance has continued without any huge pressure for a, a massive escalation. On this occasion, though, they did manage to get this rather large drone through killed three American soldiers, injured many more. And that has provoked a response from the Republicans who always claim that the Democrats are too soft on Iran and say, well, you know, we should have hit back more strongly earlier. That's a question that Biden is going to have to um, play with now. In the long run, if America is deeply involved in a conflict in the Middle East still in November when it comes to an election, I think that's very bad for Biden. I think an individual incident like this as long as there is some sort of response, will pretty much be forgotten by November. So I think that's his calculation. But there will be some response. There will have to be some sort of uh, kinetic response, as they say, to this. So we'll see where those American strikes fall when they do. We heard from Grant Shapps here, the Defence Secretary, who sort of said the world was shifting from post-war status to pre-war status. You know, are we on the brink of something very serious? You're hearing a lot of this kind of mood music that the world is heading to some broader conflict. There's good reason for saying that, right? We have different conflicts and potential conflicts across the world. And uh, what's worrying a lot of people is that the sides of this of these conflicts are becoming quite clearly drawn. You've got Russia. China and Iran on one side are all heavily militarized societies in different ways. And they're explicitly anti-Western. They don't have a lot of in common with each other ideologically. What unites them is opposition to the American and Western domination, as they see it, of the world security order. So the, the question is, do we then all get sucked into a broader war and how might that start? Although the conflicts happen most commonly in the Middle East in the last couple of decades. I suspect that that won't be where the big conflagration starts. I think there isn't enough 
Western popular support for getting involved in these wars. And there isn't enough local support either for taking on America. I don't think the average Lebanese or Yemeni or Syrian or even Iranian actually wants to go to war with America, the might of America. The destruction these societies have, in many cases, had from their local civil wars has very much put them off any enthusiasm for a massive war. So I think my impression is that the conflicts in the Middle East can be kept local. But my, my sense is that the major possibilities of conflict are elsewhere. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Times correspondent Richard Spencer. If you're a subscriber, you can follow all of Richard's reporting and all of our latest analysis on what America will do in response to this attack online at thetimes.co.uk. This episode was produced by Taryn Siegel and Olivia Case. The executive producer was Kate Ford. And sound design was by Mao Lissetto. If you found this episode helpful, if you learnt anything from it, then please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks again for listening. See you tomorrow. <laughs>